Hampshire black powder season for deer. Uh, and this is the first time in quite some time that it hasn't rained on that weekend. That's important when you're shooting black powder. You've got to keep your powder dry. Uh, and that's what I'm blaming for not getting a nice deer last year, because uh, when I pulled the hammer back and squeezed the trigger, nothing happened. Uh, I'm blaming it because it rained the first weekend, but I'm looking forward to this season. Uh, but today, today we're in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, and as you recall, we're talking about qualifications, disqualifications for church leadership. We looked at qualifications last week. We're going to look at some disqualifications this week. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 3 to 5. Uh, and before we get started, i got to remind you of something I touched on last week, but I really want you to keep, we need to keep it in the front of our mind as we look at 1 Timothy. This is where a lot of people get doctrines confused. 1 Timothy was written to who? Anybody have any idea who 1 Timothy was written to? I'll give you a clue to the same guy that 2 Timothy was written to. <laughs> Timothy. Timothy is right. It was written by Paul to Timothy. It was not written to a church. It was written to an individual. And that makes the way we look at the doctrines have to be completely different. If you want, here's, here's your extra credit study. If you want to study what was written, what Paul had to say to the church, read the book of Ephesians. They parallel 1st and 2nd Timothy very well. Look at Ephesians if you want to see the, uh, what Paul had to say to the church of Ephesus. Uh, would it be better? That worked better for you? All right. We had a, just a little logistical issue, no problem. Uh, well, now it, does, now it doesn't work for Jane. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so bear that in mind. Timothy was written to an individual, not to a church. Uh, and we're, I'm going to reemphasize that as we go through the book, because we're really coming into where that's going to really bear on things. Does that mean we can't apply it to our own personal lives? No. We are individuals within the church, right? But if we start applying this as this is what Bethel Bible Church needs to do as a church, that's where people get into doctrinal errors in the pastoral epistles. By the way, a bit of New Testament trivia for you. The only New Testament books that are written to individuals is Timothy, first and second, Titus, and Philemon. Everything else was written to churches. We need to look at those books very differently. That being said, let's see what 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 3 to 5 has to say. Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Now remember, we jumped right in the middle of a sentence. We're, we're finishing up what started back in uh, verse 2 all one sentence in the Greek. Let's have a word of prayer before we get looking at this. Lord, I do thank you for the great things you have done. You've blessed us with beautiful weather lately. You've given us a gorgeous morning this morning. 
you've protected so many of your people through what could have been very harmful tragedies. I think of uh, Brother Thompson in India, thinking of the storm that just recently hit the Philippines. You are a gracious God, and you do great things. I think of what you've done in uh, Marlene's surgery. seems to be, have been successful in every way. And why should we expect anything different? Because that's what we prayed for. You're a mighty and you're a gracious God. I ask that you'll guide us through your word here. Take us carefully through it so we can see exactly what you have to say. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Last week we looked at seven good qualifications for a church leader. And today we're going to look at five bad disqualifications as well as a parenthetical statement. Uh, so we're just going to go right down through them in order just like Paul does. Paul wrote them down. The very first disqualification is he says, this, this person, this bishop, this person who's desiring to be a bishop rather, uh, needs to be someone who's not given to wine. Not given to wine. That, the key to that phrase is the Greek word that's translated given here. It's paroinon. Very, very specific word. It means to devote all of your time to, to stay with all the time, to hang around with. It's used in other Greek writings, not outside of the Bible, uh, to show affection for. and to. It's like lovers, peroinon. Uh, the only other place it's used in uh, the New Testament is uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 7. Titus chapter 1, verse 7. Let's look at it. If there's only one place it's used, we ought to look at it. It says, For a bishop must be blameless, as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine. Same thing. No striker, not given to filthy lucre. That's different. That's a different uh, phrase. Uh, peroinon, to devote all of your time to it. Uh, by the way, the, throughout the New Testament we see all kinds of other uh, references to the perils of intoxication, right? Uh, we can talk about Luke chapter 12, verse 45, Luke 21, 34, uh, Romans 13, 13, Galatians 5, 21. The one that I want to focus on, remember what I just said to you uh, about three or four minutes ago, the parallel uh, book to 1 Timothy is the book of Ephesians, right? Let's go over to Ephesians. What Paul had, by, by the way, uh, church history tells us that drunkenness was a problem in the church of Ephesus. Uh, so that's why there's a focus here. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18, he addresses the same thing. But I want you to notice the context that it's in. By the way, this was the very first sermon I ever preached. I preached this when I was still at Word of Life. Uh, I preached it on Ephesians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. 
I got to call it to your attention that they are speaking to the church that Timothy is leading. It's in the context of time. Redeeming your time, don't do this. Redeeming the time, be filled with the Spirit instead. The context is what are you devoting your time to? And there's many things we can be intoxicated and waste our time on, isn't there? Can I give you a history lesson? Just a brief history lesson? I'm reading an interesting book right now on the history of puzzles. Uh, you know, only in very relatively recent history have human beings had time, leisure time, to devote to puzzles. Uh, in the 1920s, a lot of good Baptist preachers had to preach from the pulpit on the dangers of crossword puzzles. I, I'm, you, think, uh, you think it's funny, because so, it was such a fad, people were wasting time. Uh, there were actually cases of babies being neglected because their mothers were spending time on crossword puzzles and babies dying. And preachers were speaking against the evils of crossword puzzles. It could be your iPhone, it could be wine, it could be television, it could be any, you fill in the blanks. What Paul is talking about is don't, this person who desires to be a bishop needs to pay close attention to what they are given to. What are you spending your time on? I challenge you, I've done this myself, just make, I carry a pocketbook all the time. I write all kinds of things in this. Write down sometime. I spent 15 minutes doing this. I spent half an hour doing that. And then look back at it at the, at the end of the week and see where you spent your time. It's pretty revealing. It's pretty revealing. Uh, by the way, that's what led me to unplug my television. And I do not have cable TV. And I haven't in 25 years because I was wasting time. When I saw what a huge proportion of my time was wasted on that, I've never gone back. But that's beside the point. As we all know, there's many, many things that can control your mind and control your life in this world. God alone is the legitimate controller of our decision-making processes. What occupies all of your time? Second disqualification is no striker. No striker, it says. Now, that term only occurs here and also in uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 7, which we just finished reading. The proper church leader should not be a violent person. Now, we've already seen, uh, if we back up to chapter 2, that men in worship services should not be angry, right? Uh, chapter 2 and verse 8. Go ahead and read it again. I'm not teaching it again. We've got to keep moving. So what's the opposite of violent? I was going to say gentle. Controlled is good. Uh, controlled is really the heart of it. Uh, I was going to say gentle. Now, contrary to popular opinion, someone who is a gentle person doesn't necessarily have to be someone who is bland and helpless. Uh, I, I know this because Jesus and Paul didn't seem to be that way. Uh, Jesus and Paul seem to be men of action, men of cap capable of getting things done. I think particularly, I can't help it, 
uh, when Jesus got angry and flipped over the money changers' tables, twisted a cord, a uh, whip of cords, and took care of business cleaning up the temple. Uh, and he was a, described as a gentle person. See, the idea here, being gentle, is more of a person who is reasonable in their decision-making. What Kim said was very astute, saying controlled. Not making quick-tempered decisions in a moment of passion. If Jesus took the time to braid a, cord, a whip of cords, that takes time. I've done it myself. It was premeditated. He didn't just get passionate and start go doing this action. He took the time to braid that. Those people had plenty of time to get away. You're watching me make this. All right, here we go. It's premeditated. Leadership requires determination and strategy. And we see this in all kinds of language that Paul writes in all kinds of different places. Fight the good fight. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. These all require determination, discipline, planning, strategy, don't they? So we're not talking about some limp-wristed, milk-toast type person. We're talking about someone who's calculated, someone who can make decisions with consideration first. Not someone who's indecisive and not somebody who's going to fly into a passion. Someone who can calculate their decisions and take action. Next. This person needs to be someone who's not guilty of filthy lucre, but patient. This is such a common disqualification that many Bibles leave this right out. Did you know that? If you're, you can grab other translations and that, that phrase will be left right out. Uh, the NIV is one in particular. Uh, there's absolutely no reason to leave it out. Every single ancient text has it in it. Uh, there's zero evidence that that phrase should ever be left out, yet some Bibles leave it out. I, person I could speculate here, and I will. I personally believe it, that it's left out because it strikes pretty home for a lot of current church leaders. I think that strikes pretty close to home. You know, I'll get on a soapbox here for a second. One of the major hazards of a vocational pastorate, just the same as with any other vocation as well, my own vocation for instance, is to always be striving for more financially. Right? Climbing the corporate ladder, we say. Pastors are guilty of the same thing. If you're a vocational pastor, it's, there's the same threat. No difference. It's disastrous in a church setting. Because before you know it, the pastor starts catering to certain people, lest he offend anybody, and maybe end up with a pay cut, or worse yet, get fired. Now, let's think about the reality here. When was the last time you ever heard of a pastor being fired from a church? The only one I can think of is Jonathan Edwards when uh, the Northampton Church fired him which turned out to be a mistake. Uh, and by the way, I highly recommend everybody when they think of Jonathan Edwards, they think of his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, taught in that church. Uh, I recommend you read his farewell sermon, which was after they'd already fired him. If you see the love that he still had for that congregation that had just slapped him in the face, beat him to the ground, and kicked him in the teeth, that sermon that he preached as a farewell sermon is nothing but love and compassion for those people. 
But that's beside the point. Paul's saying here that a person who's greedy is unqualified for church leadership. Fourthly, he says that this person must be not a brawler. Not a brawler. Greek word there is amakos. Amakos. The only other time it's used in the New Testament is Titus chapter 3 and verse 2. Let's look at it. Titus 3, verse 2. It says, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Exact same phrase. It literally means to be peaceful. To be peaceful. Now isn't that interesting? In a world that's constantly being torn apart by war, we are constantly at war. There's always war going on in the world. There has never been a time in human history that there has been peace in the world. Ever. Right from Cain killing Abel, we've been at war ever since. Isn't it interesting that a church leader ought to be a peaceful person? That's a pretty unique trait, isn't it? That's against human nature. Now, Jesus said something very interesting in uh, John chapter 18, verse 36. Jesus said, this is uh, when he's basically, when he's on trial, just before he died, he says, my kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. So Jesus said, if my kingdom were of this world, then my, my people would be soldiers. But his, his kingdom is not of this world. I don't belong to this world. I'm not really called to fight this world. I deal with principalities and powers, rulers of darkness, but I'm not here to fight people. I'm here to be peaceful with people. See, church leaders aren't to be warlords. They aren't to be gang leaders. They aren't cult figures who rule by intimidation. If somebody rules by intimidation, they're a cult leader. Proper church leadership doesn't require a sword. Many other religions are driven by militants. Islam comes to mind. But Christianity ought to be different. Christianity ought to be different than that. Now, there's one more that I really want to look at, because it's right here. It says, not covetous. A church leader is someone who is not covetous. This is very similar to what we just looked at. When I said, shouldn't be guilty of, uh, greedy of filthy lucre. But this is slightly different. Uh, the Greek word here is very complicated. Ephelargeros. Uh, Ephelargeros. Uh, Hebrews 13 and verse 5 is the only other place it's used. Let's go look at that. I always say that if it's only used one place, let's go look at it. Hebrews 13, verse 5. 
Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It's talking about contentment as opposed to being covetous. See, covetousness is dangerous and destructive, both to the person and to everyone else that they come in contact with. We'll see once again when we get to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10 uh, how destructive this may be. Let's uh, actually skip over there. I'll steal my own thunder a little bit. Um, it says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That's, we're talking about covetousness there. Coveting after money, they end up being pierced through with many arrows. We'll talk about that more when we get there. But let's focus right now saying greed and a proper zeal for God cannot coexist. You can't have them both. They're mutually exclusive. And this is really a key thought here. This is the key thought that we're looking at here. If you're constantly pursuing your own best interests, you're never going to share the gospel with anyone else, are you? Why? Because sharing the gospel requires giving of yourself. And giving of yourself is not in your best interest, is it? If you're a covetous person, you're not going to share the gospel. You mark it down. So now let's look at verses 4 and 5. They're, they're really the same thought. <clears throat> it says, He needs to be one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? This verse, and verse 5, the parenthetical statement that we find in verse 5, show us how important the connection is between family relationships and leadership in the church are. And based on the time that's spent to it, there's two verses spent to this one issue, whereas we just rattled through in one verse, we rattled through uh, five issues. The time that's spent to this one, managing, management of the house, must be the primary qualification for a bishop. Many people get hung up on many others, but the fact is, this one has almost eight times the amount of space given to it. So this is clearly Paul's focus. Manage your house properly if you want to be a bishop. This is the most important one in Paul's mind. Now, so let's look at this. He says, He needs to be one that ruleth well his own house. His own house, that's oikos in the Greek. Paul starts off here, he makes a classic argument from the lesser, his own house, very specific, to the greater. If a man can't properly tend to his own family, then how in the world is he going to properly take care of the family of God? If he fails at home, 
how can he possibly succeed in leading a church which is made up of many different families, right? If you can't handle the one, how are you going to handle all the rest? Now that fits in with a lot of Jesus' parables, doesn't it? Now that word translated ruleth well is the Greek word proistimai. Proistimai. It's used in other places to refer to giving assistance or helping someone with something. Uh, so this person needs to be somebody who's willing to help, to assist. Uh, it's also used to describe supervision and protection. These are all aspects that this, person, this bishop ought to be showing in his own family. Why? Because those same skills need to be carried over into the church. Supervision, protection. This, this means that a good church leader isn't a tyrant in his family. Because, uh, you know, ruling well, uh, there's a big difference between ruling well and being a tyrant. Ruling well doesn't mean that everyone in the house does what you say out of fear of you. In fact, uh, even the word well, Greek word kalos in the Greek, uh, it, it's referring to a quality of leadership, a quality of management style. We're going to see it next week again in verse 7 when we get down to that. When it says that, moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. That's that same word, kalos. Talking about a quality. We're talking about someone who's good at being a leader. That things aren't in disarray through neglect or incompetence or even laziness. That things are in order. You, you look at his family and you see things just click together. Things work. Because if he can't do that, then how is it going to work in the church? Now, looking at the family of a church leader, it also says that he should be having his children in subjection with all gravity. And that fits well with what we see in the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? Where like Exodus chapter 20 verse 12 says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Again, turning over, I know this is a focus in Paul's mind, because uh, if you turn over to the, the parallel book that I already mentioned, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 2, This was a very important issue to Paul, to this Ephesian church. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, 2, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and, thy, and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Family life was very important to Paul as he addressed this Ephesian church and to Timothy specifically. When you're looking for a leader of this Ephesian church, Timothy, make sure he's somebody who rules his family well. Now, it's not a one-way street either. This leadership of the family isn't a one-way street because as we just read in uh, Ephesians 6 and verse 4, the fathers are told not to provoke their children to wrath. The children ought to be in subjection to the father, but the father hadn't ought to be provoking the children to wrath. 
it, it works both ways. See, proper parental authority includes wise and nurturing guidance, which should itself inspire obedience. The one feeds off the other. So do you see the picture here? There's a picture here. The godly father isn't a roaring authoritarian husband demanding obedience and punishing it when he doesn't get his way. That's not, that's not what the godly father is. This is supposed to be someone whose children desire to obey him out of respect for him. And the significance of that is that's how you and I ought to be toward our God. We ought to desire to obey him out of respect for him. That's what's implied by the word gravity here. You know, it's kind of an unusual word. It says, having his children in subjection with all gravity. This is weighty. This is important. See, the church leader isn't to be a whipcracker at home who can bring those skills over to the church as a, as a people tamer. That's not what a church leader is supposed to be. It's not somebody who's going to shout people down. Not somebody who's going to crack a whip. That's not what the church needs. And yet some churches have leaders who are exactly that. The pastoring role is that of a shepherd, right? The pastor is supposed to be a shepherd. That's what the, the root of the word means. Sheep don't respond well to whip cracking. That works with cattle. It doesn't work with sheep. And then verse 5 is a parenthetical statement to broaden out what it says in verse 4. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? If the man can't take care of his own family, how can he look after the church of God? That's obviously a rhetorical question. Paul's not expecting an answer here. But notice the very specific words here. How shall he take care of the church of God? Take care of. That's what Paul, it's a very similar phrase to what Paul says when he says ruleth well in the previous verse. You know, the, those, they're two sides of the same thing. Take care of and ruleth well are shared. Remember I said it, it talks about supervision and protection are two of the meanings that it has. The church leader is to take care of the church, to provide for them. The idea is seen, we really see it in Luke chapter 10. Uh, you don't have to turn there right now, verses 34, 35 particularly. Where it's in the middle of the Good Samaritan, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I don't believe that was a parable. I think that was an object lesson right on the scene, by the way. I, I mentioned that when we taught through Luke. But uh, Luke chapter 10, if you want to read it. The Good Samaritan, you recall, he took care of the poor mugging victim. Guy got mugged, got beat up, a bunch of hoods. They took, his, took everything he had and left him there, bleeding dead. And the Samaritan comes along and takes care of the victim. And not only did he take care of him personally, out of his own stores, 
But he left instructions when he dropped him off at an innkeeper to take care of him even further after he was gone. See, that's, that's what a pastor is supposed to be doing. Take care of him right here while I'm right here. And if he has to leave or if the other folks have to leave, makes provision for them to be taken care of even beyond his own personal reach. See, the motivation for this care, in the case of the Samaritan, came from uh, Luke 10, verse 33, where it says, He had compassion on him. It finds this care has its roots in compassion. A proper church leader will take care of the flock out of a spirit of compassion. His concern is for the health of the congregation and its effectiveness in God's mission, not out of a desire to grow his own power base. The proper church leader is someone whose home life demonstrates his own selflessness and his own compassion and it can be expected to carry those tendencies right over into the church. If he's doing it already at home, then we can expect those same tendencies to come over into the church. And if those qualities are not present at home, then he's not qualified to be an overseer at church, plain and simple. I'm going to break it off right there, and next time we're going to look at some more disqualifications which may come up as well. We're going to look at he shouldn't be a novice so that he doesn't fall into the realm of pride. We'll talk about that next time. And I think we're got a, at a good spot to break off right here. Brother Fisher, could I call on you to close us in a word of prayer? I'm 